0: Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Hover.com. Hover is domain name registration and management that's simple. For 10% off your new domain, go to Hover.com slash TWIP. This week on TWiP, Adobe releases Creative Suite 6, Nikon announces the D3200 and a new wireless adapter, and an interview with Megan Anderson on arts and crafts photography. It's Wednesday, April 12, 2012, and this is TWiP. Welcome back to TWiP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today, we are going to be talking about Adobe and their recent launch of CS6, and in that, of course, Photoshop, which we care about immensely. Also, Nikon has announced the D3200 and a new wireless adapter, which Steve Simon, hopefully, is going to give us some thoughts on, since he's, he knows a little bit about that stuff. And also, Olympic Security is cracking down on photographers. So the Olympics is coming up in London, England and there's some concern over England and London and their overzealousness with regard to people trying to take take images. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and Steve has been to the Olympics so we're going to talk to him about that a little bit. And also lastly but not least this is, you know this is also a huge story this week. Shutterfly which was, you know, previously a, and also ran in the sort of photography sharing business compared to the juggernaut of Kodak, is now acquiring Kodak Gallery. So Shutterfly, the little guy, is acquiring the big guy. So we're gonna talk about that a little bit and a bunch more. Also, we've got an interview with Megan Anderson. She's a crafts an arts and crafts photographer who uh who is making her name around taking photos of crafts and doing crafts and all that sort of thing so you know i brought her on or i did the interview with her because i like to get the insight in different verticals of photography and she's clearly in a niche that is uh it's underserved so we're going to talk about all that stuff so here to talk about these topics and more are mr doug k hey doug and mr steve simon and Cilarina joining us hey guys how you doing
1: Great to be here on Google. My first Google Hangout. It's fun.
0: This is your first Google Hangout ever.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm always late to the to the stage. We're
0: we're st- pulling you. We're always pulling you, kicking and <laughs> screaming. I know it. I love it. Yeah, but Steve, you're so- you're you're ahead of
2: me. So. Ah, congratulations wow. on
0: that I love it. good good <laughs> hey i'm happy to help pull you guys in so steve let 's start with you you were you were going to be on a show a couple of episodes ago, and we weren't able to get you, but now you're here let's see what what's been up with you? What have you been up to in the last uh, couple of weeks, months or whatever
1: uh, well, last couple of weeks um <clears throat> I was recently in Cuba and and that was just an amazing experience for a photographer it 's legal now for for americans and and residents of the states to to go on a a sort of purposeful tour of Cuba. And I was there for a few days, and uh, it was pretty amazing. I think if any photographer ever gets a chance, it is like kind of going back in time, and and Cuba's definitely changing. I don't know if you guys have have been there.
0: No, I I definitely have not been there. Were you there on assignment?
1: Um, Yeah, kind of. I was there uh, sort of doing some research on maybe doing some workshops up there, and uh, it just so happened they had their... They're kind of week of photography, which was cool, so I got to to meet with some Cuban photographers. So I definitely want to want to go back there. Um, and the other thing, the other big thing I did is I got to to play with that new lens. I know you alluded to the D thirty two hundred, which we'll we'll talk about. I mean, it's a entry level camera that now ups the ante with twenty four megapixels, and mm. I think that's something that maybe people want to talk about. Um, and I got to play with their new fast lens that's coming out—the the 28 millimeter 1.8 uh, G lens, which uh, is a it's a beautiful little lens because it's it's light. Um, you know, like the 24 1.4 Nikon shooters will know is a beautiful fast lens, but it's also heavy and expensive. And this 28 uh, is about 700 bucks. It's much lighter um, and it's very sharp. Yeah. So.
0: All right, we'll we'll definitely talk about all that. And Steve, thanks thanks for coming on. I know you're not feeling well today, um, but still you're powering through like a like a good student and going to class anyway, so I appreciate I'm it. I'm feeling
1: better already just hanging out with you guys. So.
0: Good, good. All right, also on the show is Mr. Sil Arena over there. Hey, Sil, how you doing?
2: I'm well, Frederick. How
0: are you? I'm doing great. What have, what have you been up to? What's going on in the arena world?
2: Uh, you know, I'm working on light and lighting, um, you know. Ted Waite, my editor at Pete Pitt, would be very proud to know that uh, I'm working. So, Ted, yes, I'm working. Um, You're taking a I've break got, to do
0: the hangout, right?
2: I am. Um, I take I take a break to do this, and I take a break to go work out because I need to get away from the book a little bit every day. But, um, yeah, I've got five weeks to go on the book, and we're ha- I'm half done, which is about where you would expect to be with, like, five weeks to go. <laughs> so... But uh, no, it's, it's going to, and I'm really proud, this is, this is a book um, that is designed to really help novice photographers who don't understand light, who don't understand how it works, who don't understand how to use photographic light, to craft great images, you know, not just with flash, but with natural light and all different types of light.
0: Now, now, so the last book that you wrote, I remember after you published it, you, you were saying that that thing nearly killed you. So please, <laughs> yeah. like literally, so please uh, take it a little easy on this one yeah. and, and uh, yeah. you know, get some, get some food in you from time to time, maybe a little no, water. But, you know. Yeah.
2: yeah. Don't worry. I'm, I'm taking good care of myself. I learned the lesson the hard way on that one. Yeah. And, and um, you know, but can I show you something really cool? I don't know if it'll show on the webcam, but yeah, let me, go for it. This this came in. There it is. This came in just yesterday. Um, it's the Polish translation of of the book. So oh, look at that! <laughs> Excellent
0: for the podcast and, listeners. Syl is holding up a, a uh, his book uh, that is Speed translated Speedlighter's Handbook. Speedlighter's Handbook, which has been uh, and, translated to Polish.
2: Which I, I'm going to slaughter it, but it's like Sylfezki or something like that. But um, anyway, I'm indebted to the folks who did this in Poland. I don't read a word of Polish, but um, the print quality is beautiful. I was really, really impressed. I was like, wow, these guys know how to print color.
0: Awesome! Congratulations. Yeah, and so then-
2: you have got to
1: hope that you know in the translation because you don't obviously speak Polish or it doesn't sound like you do. That um, you know they, they sort of <laughs> said the right stuff in there.
2: I mean. You know, it, it's whatever it takes to sell books, Steve. Right? You know that. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, and then also on the show, uh, thanks for joining us, Mister Doug K. Hey, Doug, what's what's going on in your neck of the woods?
3: Well, I I grovel with humility at the feet of Syl and Steve. They're <laughs> writing. They've they've both written terrific books, and and I've had the pleasure of reading them. Does that count? <laughs> so
2: thanks very much does for count. that. <laughs>
3: Uh, although i'm still, I, I told sil uh a while back i'm still waiting for the nikon translation of his book but uh no.
2: <laughs> your yeah, polish came first sorry
3: that's right
0: hey uh, but no, sil, I mean, sil will tell you that it is dual platform right so I mean. it is
3: actually I, I shouldn't joke about that because i still think it's one of the greatest um books on uh, uh strobe photography and i i use it oh, a lot and you. it's it's rarely it's 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 got something in it for everybody it's really not although it talks about the canon gear it's that's just a portion of it so and Steve's book is terrific, too. <laughs> yeah. So um, the, I've been shooting, and I've been, I've, you know, instead of being a great photographer, I've been talking about being a photographer. I was on uh, uh, that other video podcast last night, um, Trip Photo, uh, Leo and uh, Catherine are away. So uh, they brought out the B team, me and uh, Trey Radcliffe and uh, Sarah Lane took over. And uh, you know, while the cats were away, we had a great time. Very cool. Uh, and I've been doing some competition, local local photo competition, and spending a lot of time. And I've been ramping up on printing. That's my new thing.
0: Printing? Where we can, huh.
3: we'll talk. We'll talk about that for uh, tips when we get there.
0: That's really interesting. I had a great conversation with Martin Evening last night uh, over Skype. He's over in Japan, and you know, I told him you know I bought his his ebook, which is on printing. It sort of goes through printing from soup to nuts and how to do it and how to get back into it and it's funny one of the things that he said was you know i told him that i that resonated with me was i back in the day you know like a min, like a bunch of other photographers you start you buy this printer and you, you print something and it comes out magenta or you buy this printer and it's you know it comes out green or whatever then you give up on it and you start sending things out to labs so i told him i have this, this epson uh, thirty eight hundred that because of his ebook, I am now putting it back into commission you know i 'm now using it again just because of that ebook, so i 'm joining you doug i 'm getting back into the printing fray here
1: yeah, if I could oh, just I like say it. something, Doug, because this whole idea of printing you know recently i 've come across uh, whether in a gallery or you know seeing books when you see a printed photograph, um, it stops me in my tracks, it reminds me that you know, when you, you work hard to create a, a strong photograph, when you print it and you see it and you, you perfect it, I mean, there's really nothing like it in terms of communication. I mean, we're, we're so used to these days looking at our images on the computer screen. It's a different experience um, when, when you print it. It's, it's, it's totally worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah,
3: just, just to respond to that, you know, I got into it because I wanted to be able to control the what i was producing all the way through to that final image and of course online you can't do that and if you let somebody print and fulfill for you for your sales you know you'll you never see the finished product yeah. so but what i found is interesting is it actually filters all the way back to shooting and even planning your shots because um you're i I find myself being even more deliberate in the process knowing that i'm going to be responsible for that entire workflow all the way through to the end so it's 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 helped me in the shooting just the fact that i know i'm going to be printing something yeah Mm.
0: interesting interesting all right guys let's uh let's dive into the show and for some reason, this this hangout is having trouble posting live, but I'm going to continue going. We're we're still recording, but I'm uh I'm having trouble getting the video to go live. So we'll just yeah, it's not
3: it's not there. I checked.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is uh it is giving me Google errors. So we will uh... maybe this will help. <laughs> wow, is that better? Yeah. Hey, it went. Look at that. <laughs> it just needed to see Sill's wedding ring. That was it. <laughs> All right, okay guys, let's uh let's jump into the show. It started working.
3: No, just
0: kidding. <laughs> yeah, of course not. Of course not. Okay, before we move forward, I am going to uh, – want to give a nod to our wonderful sponsor, Hover.com. This week in photo – or this episode of this week in photo is spo- sponsored and brought to you by Hover.com. And basically, Hover is all about making domain registration service simple. So the problem that they were attempting to solve is, you know, over the years, domain registration sites have been uh, – complicated you know cumbersome and complicated so they wanted to sort of demystify that the idea of how do you get a domain registered so you so the problem has been you go to a site you register a domain it takes about 50 clicks it may not seem like that but it takes about 50 clicks to go from hey i want to reg- i want to register supercalifragilisticexpialidocious.com uh and by the time you you have that idea to the point that you actually own that domain is about 50 clicks and then on top of that they hit you with what i call fear uncertainty and doubt like hey would you like your your home address exposed to the public if not pay this much money you know all that kind of stuff that they do on top of that you know on top of all the clicks that it takes to register it and you get all these offers do i want this do you want that and then finally you get through and domain and, and you have a registered domain. So what hover dot com comes in and does is they they basically they don't sell you a ton of services. They make it easy, like painlessly easy to step through the process of getting your domain registered. They have a no hold policy, meaning when you call Monday through Friday, nine AM to eight PM Eastern, you get a live person and they promise not to put you on hold, you know, for that time. So you uh you're going to talk to a human, which is awesome. You're not going to go through a, a a tree to to get a human. You automatically get a human. And then the cool thing is that the services that they offer are, you know, you can set up email addresses, you can set up forward email addresses, you can the, redirect the domains that you set up to other domains. So say, like, for example, me, I have... Um, you know, frederickvan.com, and I also have fvj.me set up. So I can have fvj.me forward to frederickvan.com or whatever. You know, if I decide I want to register stevesimonphoto1.com, I can have that forward to frederickvan.com. So I can do all that sort of cool stuff. You can set privacy controls, all this stuff with fewer clicks and without the website trying to sell you something you know they're always trying to sell you something hover doesn't do that it's just it's a tool you know instead of a marketing site so definitely try them out you can uh, you could you know you could they and one of the other things i wanted to mention is they will allow you to transfer your domain over to them free. Now if you want to extend the domain, it's going to cost you know ten bucks to extend the, the duration. But they'll transfer it over from whatever your existing domain registrar is, they'll they'll transfer it over to hover.com for free, which is awesome. So if you want to get a new domain, just head over to www.hover.com dot com slash twip and they'll give you 10% off you know whatever you order over there. So that's h o v e r. dot com slash twip And you'll get ten percent off. Okay, gents, let's uh, jump into the news here. Story number one is about, like I mentioned at the beginning, Adobe. They've released the Creative Suite CS6 along with the Creative Cloud. So I want to talk about this. I know you all have varying opinions on this. You know the quality of this. You know, do we need it? Is it you know more features than we need? Yada yada yada. So. Steve, I want to start with you. So, in Photoshop CS6, it's got a new interface, as we've seen, most people have seen in the public beta. It's got a new graphic engine, which is crazy fast. I've used it, um, and tools for working with 3D and video. None of I don't do that stuff in Photoshop, but if you wanted to, it's in there. Uh, you know, there's there's just a ton of stuff in here. You know, and they've announced a bunch of things that we're going to talk about. But Steve, off the top, I want to get your thoughts on just upgrading like are you like you as a working professional photojournalist that travels to cuba africa etc are you looking at cs6 as okay this is a piece of software that is mission critical to me and i am going to upgrade it now yeah
1: i don't think so um i think the reason i would i'm going to upgrade is just to sort of keep uh tabs on what's happening i know obviously photoshop you know was was is is the kind of platform that that started it all and uh, there are a lot of people that will continue to use it uh, in perpetuity I'm sure it's just that you know as a photographer I'm finding I want to spend less time uh, in front of the computer and you know tools like uh, Lightroom and I use Aperture uh, they both allow me to do that you know they really do you know meet my needs in terms of of what I want to do with my photographs so I don't really feel the need to go to Photoshop. Now, when I have that special image and, you know, when Doug's talking about printing, uh, sometimes I want to see if I can get more out of that Nikon file using the Capture NX2 software or maybe, you know, Camera Raw and Photoshop to see what it will do. But generally speaking, um, I want to keep it simple. I want to spend less time in, in front of the computer. And that's just kind of my take
0: on things. Yeah. What are you using right now? What, what's, what's your workflow?
1: Well, basically, I'm I'm using Aperture. I'm using Aperture, and I'm starting to use Capture NX2 because uh, I've realized, you know, in, in having worked with Nikon a little bit, that uh, you know, to really maximize those raw files, um, using the Capture NX2 software, uh, I think I've seen um, really sort of fixes uh, little aberrations that uh, maybe uh, Lightroom and um, and Aperture won't. But it's it's really just uh, a matter of uh, subjective uh, sort of artistic ideas to what you like best.
0: Yeah. Now, now you know as far as pricing for this. So historically, the the Adobe CS Master Collection has been, you know, for for a lot of people, prohibitively expensive. But what they've done is they've added this subscription thing, which we've talked about on Twit before. So now, basically, you can get the Master Collection for. Fifty bucks, forty-nine bucks a month as part of the Creative Cloud, and if you are like I was saying in the beginning, if you are a CS3, CS4, CS5 user, you can get it for twenty-nine bucks or thirty bucks a month. Now, still, I want to throw this to you. So, the, it, it, is, does that make sense? Are you are you the guy that says, you know what, I'm just going to punk down the the money and get the Creative Suite Production Premium or I'm just going to buy the thing. I need to own the bits that live on my hard drive, or are you okay with dishing out the 29 or 49 dollars a month to subscribe to Adobe?
2: Okay, so um, you know, let's parse it into a couple of different elements. Um, Like Steve, my workflow is really built around Lightroom or Aperture for other people, and I really think that a lot of digital photographers have to consider what really does Photoshop hold for me. In my case. About the only time that I go out to Photoshop now from Lightroom is when I've got an architectural shoot and I need to straighten the verticals, or in the case of doing a book where I have to very precisely convert everything over to CMYK. And that, frankly, is about the only extent that I actually use Photoshop. Now, that said, within the Creative Suite, I'm an active user of InDesign. Um, Not that that's a huge part of a lot of people's workflow, but as a publication designer, I use InDesign all the time. And looking over to some of the web publishing features of the new software, yeah, that's got my attention. Um, And then finally, uh, some of the new features, what do we have in the notes here? Oh, speed grade, okay. I'm no expert in motion, but I know that my future will have a significant amount of time spent in motion going forward. So I was excited to see in Lightroom 4 that there is kind of pseudo-color grading for video clips, and I think Adobe's making a really smart move by continuing to push the frontier and the usability of a feature set oriented towards multimedia production, and I think that's perhaps for me the most exciting thing, the reason I would take a look at CS6 and consider upgrading from 5.5. Now, as for whether I would plunk down 30 bucks a month, um, you know, I kind of have to sort through that and say, you know, if I don't know, does that need, do I have to be logged into the internet to make that work? Because, mm-hmm. you know, if I if I have to have a connection to the internet to get the that software to work all the time, then it's not going to work for me because I work in a lot of places where I don't have a web connection. No,
0: you're wondering if, if does it does it require authentication to the Adobe servers in order for it to activate and make sure your subscriptions current? Yeah, subscription so you know,
2: Creative Cloud is always going to jump out there and and um, say, hey, okay, yeah, this is really Sillarina and he's paid up for the month. Um, you know, that's going to cause me to think twice. I, I don't know what the upgrade is going to be from five five, but I'll, I'll certainly give it a look. But I'm not going to run out tomorrow and throw my money at it.
0: Yeah. Now, what about you, Doug? Where do you, where do you fall in all of this? Are you a subscriber? Are you a hey? I want to, I want to own the license and own the bits, and I'll, I'll, I'll pick and choose which pieces of the Creative Suite I want to own.
3: Well, I'm, I'm in an unusual situation. My, my official day job is for a nonprofit, so I get a nonprofit license to the entire suite, which saves me a bundle. But aside from that, uh, you know, I, I used to use more things in the suite. I used to use Illustrator. Uh, I've used InDesign for a book that I did uh, a while back, but now I just use Photoshop. So the sweet pricing doesn't appeal to me too much. Twenty nine bucks a month for one app is a little bit steep, I think, as a, as an upgrade. You know, and and what's the regular price? Fifty nine mm-hmm. a yep. month, something like no, nine. Forty nine yeah. and twenty nine. yeah. So you know, twenty nine a month for an upgrade for just Photoshop isn't reasonable for me. I I do use Photoshop. I'm committed to it because I do. I still do maybe half my images go from Lightroom to Photoshop. And I also um, will sometimes work on the same raw file in both. So the fact that they have the same uh, camera raw engine is important to me. Yeah. But, um, you know, I'll, you know, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll have to wait now an extra month or so for the nonprofit licensing to come out, but uh, I'll be upgrading. It. I'll probably upgrade the suite because I can get it inexpensively. But I, I, I've been working with, with uh, CS6 Photoshop, I love it. I think the improvements are are valuable, and I expect that most Photoshop users, one way or another, will upgrade.
0: Yeah. So, but Doug, you, you bring up a valid question here. Like, there's there's a it's a suite, right? So there's a bunch of software included in the Creative Suite, and this is a good cross section of photographers of you know different ilk's of you know the kind of shooting and educating that you guys do. Looking at the the suite of products in the suite, you know, in the suite from InDesign to Photoshop to Pr- Premiere, etc. W- like, Syl, you first, what are you using? Like, are you, in other words, do you care about a suite? Or do you just care, is, is Photoshop, Lightroom, Aperture, your, your go-to apps and everything else is, you know, one day I might design a greeting card, so I'll use InDesign. You know, how, do you, no, how does it well, work for you? It,
2: okay, in my case, um, uh, no, I use InDesign all the time. And so the suite has a lot of functionality that I don't ever use. So what I use uh, for stills work, absolutely, it all begins with Lightroom. And um, I use Premiere for video editing, and I'm still very much a novice when it comes to that. But I do know in terms of my commercial viability, um, you know, my, in the future it's going to be because I can produce multimedia pieces for medium-sized businesses. Um, which is still going to be hard enough for their marketing department to say, yeah, we can't do this because we just bought a a camera at Costco. Um, So I see that in terms of my commercial futures being the viable sweet spot. So Premiere is definitely an important part of that. Um, I haven't used Soundbooth very much um, and some of the other functionality, After Effects. Uh, The one thing about motion, you know, my perspective is, at least at my age and my brain capacity, I'm not smart enough to know how to do it all. But I at least be able to, I need to be able to do rough cuts. And so and, and very much that's right where I'm at right now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but Premiere is important to me. And um, Photoshop, actually, it's interesting. Premiere is becoming more important to me and Photoshop is becoming less important to me. And if I could do, uh, we've got CMYK soft proofing now or we've got soft-proofing overall in, in Lightroom 4, which is a great step forward, but I actually can't convert images in Lightroom. I can't export them out as CMYK. And, you know, frankly, if it wasn't for that, I probably wouldn't use Photoshop at all.
0: Wow. It's, so, that's really interesting. What about, what about the other two guys? Are you uh, are you in that same sort of drifting away from Photoshop and more into your digital asset management application? Yeah.
1: Well, I, I would say no question for me. I mean, again, I'm, I'm sort of a less is more... Uh, attitude when it comes to post processing. So, you know, as long as I can satisfy my needs and and in terms of quality, etc., I I I don't really feel the need to do that. Like still I'm probably even less involved in in motion, but I do know that it's here to stay and I'm interested in 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 pursuing it. I just have managed not to uh, to this point, but I know it's something that I'd like to get into in, in the future and I'm going to have to to learn it, but You know, there's only so many hours of the day and, uh, you know, the post-processing part you can really obsess over, which, you know, of course it's important, but, but, um, you know, I'd rather be out there shooting and making pictures and, you know, maybe later on when I have time, I'll, I'll really get down to, to learning some of the other things that I want, all the other things on my photographic bucket list of post-processing learning that I want to
0: do. Right, right. Now, Doug, Doug, what about you? Let's switch, switch the conversation over to subscription models. Now, Adobe is, is you know, over late last year and this year has has announced that they're, mo- and of course with CS6, moving into the subscription model mode of doing business and away from the, hey, you give us, give us some cash and we give you the license to use the software on X number of machines. Does the subscription model make sense for software or do people, from your perspective, do people want to own the bits, so to speak, and just upgrade when they feel like it?
3: I, I mean, I think SIL has got the right answer. It's, well, first of all, it comes down to cost. Is it cheaper for me to subscribe or own the bits? But the first time that the software decides it's not going to work because I can't get to the Adobe website, if that's what happens, we don't know yet, then I'm out of there. You know, I just, no, no one's going to put up with that. Now, Adobe's done these kinds of things in the past, they have experience with it. Um, you know, hopefully they'll get it right, but. They don't, they don't, and, and it's not, you know, people aren't going to go to it. Yeah. You know, it's got it's got to work, and it's got to work all the time.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So, I mean, I, in a lot of ways, Adobe's leading the charge, at least in terms of, of this kind of software with subscriptions. I mean, subscriptions have been done in other places, like Netflix, for example. People don't really balk at paying for using Netflix or services like that, but for actual... You know, a high sort of horsepower software that lives on your computer that you get day to day work with, having a subscription model that's associated with that. I think in a lot of ways Adobe is blazing new ground. So, yeah,
3: are- I, I have a theory about this. I, I don't think that this is really aimed at the individual licensee, I think this is aimed at uh, offices full of designers who use the suite, where they're basically looking at how are we going to design, enforce, and support per seat pricing. So if you've got a, a design shop, a photo place, whatever it is that has you know, a dozen or 20 people who are users of the entire creative suite, I think that's what Adobe is primarily looking at for this. That's my guess.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, regardless, it's a, this is an interesting test, and it's an interesting... You know, looking at the, the from the, Adobe from a business and stockholder standpoint, I mean, I'm sure stockholders are like, "Hey, this is uh, this might generate a, a a ton of of cash, you know, and increase the stock value." So, you know, from a business standpoint, this is a good thing. So, what, what's in question is who does it make sense for, and I guess we'll see over the next couple of months who is going to gravitate towards a subscription model or away from it. So. Um, so there was a there was a ton of other announcements from Adobe and I would direct we 'll put links in the show notes over to the Adobe site and to the video of the announcement but there 's a ton of things like uh you know, there's a, a piece of software called Muse that was previously available as a beta that's designed to allow you to create HTML5-based websites with no coding. Um, there's there's a, a bunch of things that Adobe announced, and the, all this stuff is really amazing. Plus, there's a bunch of walkthroughs on CS6 on Photoshop, on uh, Adobe TV. So definitely head over to Adobe TV and check out what they have to offer. And Kelby, over this the Scott Kelby team, also has a uh a, a dedicated microsite with videos on it that takes you through the cool new features of cs6 and the things that you need to pay attention to so definitely check all this stuff out we'll have links to it in the show notes for this episode but uh that's the, that's how i get up to speed on this stuff generally as i go to adobe tv i look at what the folks are saying there sit back with a cup of coffee and watch as they explain to me what's new and I do the same thing on Kelby site and watch as Matt and Scott and and uh, Raphael or RC go through all the different cool features in the new version of software. So, definitely go check this stuff out. Okay, the next story up is Nikon. So, Nikon has announced the D3200 and the W-1A wireless adapter. So... The 3200 is a new camera body that has a 24.2 megapixel 4 frame 4 frame per second continuous shooting body that that has an ISO range of 100 to 6400 that's expandable up to 12,800. It's got 11 point autofocus and the ability to shoot full frame or full 1080 video or 1080p video at 30 frames a second. So this is a powerful body. So, Steve, you, you know the Nikon sort of family of products a little bit. Have you had a chance to look at this thing, and what do you think about it?
1: Uh, no, I haven't personally looked at it, but certainly I've, I've owned the 3100. It's, a, it's, a, it's their entry-level camera. It's a small DSLR body. It's a DX sensor. And I think the big surprise here for a lot of people... Um, is the megapixels because Nikon's always been conservative previous to this new generation of uh, cameras including the D800 which I think surprised a lot of people at 36 megapixels and sort of set the uh, high resolution standard but in a entry level body 24 megapixels i mean that's a lot of me- megapixels that uh, you know you might think well maybe it's too much for for entry level shooters who who don't necessarily want to have a big computer etc but I think, you know, there's no turning back, and this is where we're at, and they've managed to squeeze in 24 million uh, pixels in a DX sensor. So, you know, it's, it's, we're going to see exactly how it performs. It's, it, sounds, uh, opt- it, it sounds amazing that they can, you know, give an ISO, high ISO of, I think you said 6,400, mm-hmm. um, with so many megapixels in a DX sensor. But, uh, you know, this is, this is where it's going, and I think everybody else is going to kind of follow suit after that. I don't know what you guys feel about this high megapixel entry level.
0: I don't know. I want to throw it to Doug. Doug, what what do you think about this? I mean, we, we, were, we thought we were out of the megapixel race and moving squarely into the ISO and sensor sort of race. Are we back into the megapixel race again because of the D800?
3: Well, I, I, it confuses me too. You know, trying to look at the specs on this thing and understand where it's positioned relative to everything else. You know, is it a... Is it really aimed at serious photographers, people who care about some of these things? I mean, it's red. I mean, you've seen this thing. It's a a cool-looking camera, Yeah. (laughs) you know. Uh, I assume they're all red. This wasn't just a red model, but the the one I saw was red. And uh, so I don't know. I mean, you know, is it? I I don't have the answer because I don't know whether this is for a serious photographer who's on a budget or is it for somebody who's not serious but wants to have a cool looking camera where they can brag about the specs? <laughs> you know, it's red and it's got a lot of megapixels, so it must be good, and it says Nikon on the front. Um, because it seems to me like it's, it's sort of a, uh, there's sort of some bragging rights in the camera that, that don't hold up for anybody who's really serious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the idea of an entry-level
1: camera, I think for a lot of people, a lot of those people aren't necessarily going to be blowing up and making big prints. So having the 24 megapixels, I mean, the quality has got to be quite amazing, but maybe you'll never really appreciate if you just print 4x6 or you're just using it for your yeah. face.
3: I, th- I think, but it's some somebody who's going to want to say, you know, my camera's red and it's got more megapixels <laughs> than yours. That's my guess.
0: <laughs> so it's it's just photographer bling, right? So. <laughs> In a lot of
3: ways. Well, you know, it it got some. It got beat up on for having poor low light performance by the folks over at Petapixel. And my sense is that a camera in this position, it may be one where the shooter never knows what ISO is and never changes it.
0: Yeah. Steve, Steve, are you going to run out and buy this thing?
1: If I do get it, it's probably uh, for other reasons because I use um, other cameras within the Nikon line. Uh, The fact is, I mean, yeah, I mean. I don't expect the the high ISO uh, quality to be, you know, absolutely astounding with so many megapixels. But, I mean, it really is amazing because, you know, only like 11 years ago, the D1 came out and was 2.7 megapixels. and was thousands of dollars. And now you've got, I believe this is $700 for the body, 24 megapixels. I mean, previous to this, the D3X was 24 megapixels, an $8,000 body. So, I mean, it kind of shows you where we're going, and it kind of shows you that if they can, you know, pack 24 million uh, pixels into a DX sensor that the 36 megapixel D800 might be just the beginning and if this, you know, the D3 D4X comes out who knows. I mean, we're we're really heading into medium form territory but uh you know, that's where we're at and and we'll see if other people follow suit.
0: Yeah. So Silverina, I know you're not a you're not a Nikon shooter, but I wanted to throw the question to you on you know megapixels versus you know, ISO sensitivity, which do you care about? I mean, you know, if, I, mean if there, I know you care um, about both, of course, but if there's a well, race, it, which should we I, be racing I, on?
2: You know, I, I just want to get up on my little soapbox and say, I don't want more pixels, I want better pixels. Yeah. And I frankly think that, every, I think, I think this camera and whatever Canon comes out to compete with it and whatever Sony comes out to compete with it, I think all these cameras are created by the marketing department and the engineers getting together for beers and saying, "What do you think we can do next? Yeah. Um, you know I think these cameras are effectively um, you know Moore's law being applied to cameras, which of course are computers, um, so every six months or so we're going to see a huge leap in megapixels and i I just remain a skeptic that having more pixels is necessarily better. Give me fewer pixels but make the ones you give me really really sensational expand the dynamic range of my camera then we've got something to talk about and whether we say oh yeah that's iso um sure you know being able to shoot in a dark closet is really helpful for some people but for me um you know just continue to expand the color space that the camera can accurately record give me the ability to shoot a saturated red rose, and to have the camera actually record all those billion shades of reds that get clogged up and give me the ability to, um, you know, shoot anything I need to. And ISO is just a part of it, so I'm going to get off my soapbox. But, you know, for 700 bucks, it's kind of like, wow, okay, I think this is, and you know, I will say this, if I was going to get one, I'd pick the red one. Uh, <laughs>
0: how, did I I how did i know that how did i know that
2: well because you saw my ipad cover the other day which is bright red yes you know, i and, did see and that. the new ferrari that i bought yesterday is bright red
0: and you know yeah blah, blah, blah. yeah your your last name is born now right yeah there you <laughs> I go do, you know i want to
3: say okay. one thing i mean sil's absolutely right of course but i do want to point out that my best camera has half as many pixels but it this I've just did the arithmetic. This camera has ten times as many pixels per dollar as my camera. So on a picture per dollars basis, this must be a winner.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's got to be right. It's got to be. There so where go. where's the cutoff? I mean, where where you. You know, cropping notwithstanding, you know, of course you can always say, well, I want more pixels so I can have more flexibility to crop down. But if you're the photographer that says, hey, I'm going to get it right in camera 100% of the time and I never crop. I know photographers that say that. You know, I never crop if it's, you know, I crop inside the camera. If you're that guy, where's the limit? I mean, is it based on the printer that you own because the printer can only accommodate a certain number of pixels or... You know, where, when, when, when is uncle? When do we say uncle to Nikon and Canon? Steve, where, when is that?
1: That's, that's a very good question. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me how far and fast we're, we're going. And it's really impossible to predict, you know, three years down the line, four years down the line. Um, I do know that when you look at the upgrade in both the Canon and Nikon professional system from the, the D3S to the D4 and the, the EOS equivalent, um, it wasn't as dramatic as it has been in the past. So it seems to me things are maybe slowing down a little bit. But, um, you know, I, I really can't answer that question because offered, you know, as Sil says, uh, a greater dynamic range, higher quality, more megapixels without a downside. You know, your photographers are, are probably going to take it.
0: Yeah. What about you, Sil?
2: Uh, I don't think there's an upside limit. I'll go on record as saying I think in three to four years we'll be seeing 100-megapixel sensors. And I think that, again, I think that's just Moore's law being implied. You know, every 18 months the the cost of a semiconductor um, gets cut in half, and its power, its processing power doubles. We're seeing the same thing here. Is
0: it even possible? I mean – it mean, yeah, that... sure.
2: You know, I mean, <laughs> look at where you live, Frederick. You live in Silicon Valley,
0: the land yeah. of the impossible. Yeah, that's right. When I, know, I when so... I had my Commodore sixty four, I was like, "Well, who needs more than sixty four k? I mean, come on. What are you going to do with more than sixty four k?
2: Yeah. So you know, in terms of where will it stop, I don't know that it ever will. And I since I'm sincere when I say I think a lot of this is marketing. Um, you know, because what's an easy concept for a consumer to understand? megapixels it sounds like it's really got value and um, you know we we, going back you know a little bit when Canon rolled out or announced the 1DX um, I was really excited because for the first time Canon actually stepped backwards in the resolution factor you know stepping down to 18 megapixels and I immediately just made the assumption they did that because they were finally delivering better pixels And so ultimately, you know, what's out in the future? I don't know. Sure, we're going to have, you know, 100 megapixel sensors on consumer cameras within three to four years. Uh, What do we do with them? Who knows? What do we do with the bandwidth we have right now on the Internet? I mean, things are going to be developed um, that we can't even consider. Who knows? Maybe it's holographic imaging that will come out. Maybe it's, you know, um, something beyond RGB color space.
0: Or maybe it's... it's uh, full motion Lytro video cameras that capture in RAW that you can focus after the fact. <laughs> yeah, you can
2: decide to focus later. Yeah, and yeah. in, in
0: panoramas, yeah. right? So you can pan yeah. through the scene and zoom in and focus on certain elements. Right. Yeah.
2: That you can bolt onto your remote controlled drone, so you don't even have to leave the house. You just send your camera and you, go make the, have made the photographs.
0: There you go. I don't know. Lots of possibilities. Doug K., what's in the future for this stuff? What's the, what's the utopian camera for you that you're waiting on?
3: Uh, <laughs> you caught me <laughs> by surprise with that one. I know. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think the, to, to put this all in perspective, it wasn't more than a few months ago that we were all talking about the megapixel wars. Mm-hmm. And we said mm-hmm. megapixels don't matter. Give me, as Sil said, quality pixels above quantity. And then Nikon came out with the D800 and took us all by surprise because they came out with a camera that had, that went the other direction from where the company had been going. They went to a high megapixel. And then when people got their hands on it and the labs guys started running their tests, they say, whoa, it's got a lot of megapixels and they're really good pixels. Yeah. And I think that caught a lot of people by surprise. Um, all I know is that I think I'm glad I don't have a 36 megapixel camera because I just have to buy a lot more disk drive space.
0: But you know, I want to I want to bring the conversation full circle, um, and and just talk about the 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 gear lust that we all have, right? I mean, so we have this this which is natural for photographers, this lusting after the next better camera body you know the next piece of glass the next strobe that that moonwalks when you press a certain button you know all this all this cool stuff that you know we're lusting after when when does it make sense to step back from that and say you know what Instead of investing this next two grand on this body, I know this is heresy for Nikon and Canon, but instead of investing this next two grand on this next body that does a few incremental things more than the camera body I have, I'm instead going to buy a book or I'm going to take a class from linda video to brain or kelby or whatever and learn how to be a better photographer rather than buying better atoms you know i'm mean, gonna get better neurons in my brain that's my that's my megapixels better more neurons firing rather than more sensors you know inside the gear that i buy when do you when do you make that distinction i mean is it i mean I, you know i know I'm i'm like saying you know, I'm I'm as guilty as the next person of of wanting the next piece of gear. But when do you say, okay, I'm going to put the brakes on this stuff, and I'm going to become an artisan rather than an acquisition guy that's lusting after the latest, greatest gear in the B and H catalog? Steve, when when do you yeah. do that?
1: Uh, yeah I think you you hit a very important uh, thing, and I think probably we 're all in agreement and i 'll let you guys speak, but there 's no question if you invest in instead of in the new gear, but using the gear and taking a trip somewhere to shoot or taking a workshop, you know that 's going to be where your your images will will sort of tell the tale you 're going to improve um, the gear is not going to necessarily improve you as a photographer shooting is going to improve you as a photographer. Just my my little trip, my few days in Cuba, I met some really great Cuban photographers. And, you know, because of the circumstances in Cuba, they're using equipment that a lot of us have discarded a long time ago. They're using bodies, digital bodies that are, you know, two, three generations old, doing amazing work. You know, we see this whole lamography movement, people using plastic cameras and creating these beautiful images. It's not about... The technical and and more megapixels, you just have to go to your library, look at all the great photographic uh, books that are out there, and the great photographers that have used, you know, equipment, you know, Brassai in the twenties, you know, Paris at night, mm-hmm. all those great pictures. They really the technical is is very much overrated. So yeah, I think that's a really important point to bring up, um, Frederick, for the listeners, and that's is you know don't you know it's fun to get caught up in it, but. But really, you want to invest in yourself as a photographer. Get out there shooting, and, and you're going to start to see more of a difference. Yeah, right? I
0: agree. I agree. And, and I, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm as guilty as the next guy of lusting after the next piece of gear and, and wanting that. And granted, I also agree that there are a lot of shots that weren't possible back in those days that are possible today because of the technology advances and because of these amazing sensors that we have and all that. The point that I draw is or point that I point to is there are a gazillion other shots that you can you can make and print with crappy gear you know in quotes crappy gear or gear from the 2010 you know, or tw- 2009 that can blow the socks off of of people that have purchased the latest and greatest gear and don't know how to use it. So still I want to I want to throw it to you on this. So you're you've hung your hat on the speed lighting and and small strobes and and now lately mixing small strobes and large strobes. So looking at it from that perspective, from a strobe perspective, is it necessary, uh, you know? I'm trying not to lead the, the witness here. Is it necessary? <laughs> Objection, Your Honor. <laughs> is, is it necessary to have, you know, uh, on the Nikon side, I'm not sure what the latest and greatest strobe on the Canon side is, but an SB900 in order to create really cool shots, you know, yeah. today?
1: 910. 910.
0: Oh, it's a 910 now. Oh, yes. See, I'm yeah. even behind there. Oh, wait. <laughs> I got to go order that. Hold on. No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> St- Steve Olonya his, yeah. um, you know I know it's it's not necessary to have um, the new Canon 600 rt which is a brilliantly designed strobe. Right, and which you gave a talk about is, at
0: my meetup group, right?
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, truly, this new gear, um, I, I have to say, it's it's what Canonistas have been hoping Canon would produce for a long, long time. And the user interface for people just coming to Flash is far more easy to understand than previous generations. That said, do you need a $600 speed light to create good light? No. Um, In fact, if you know what you're doing, you can create great light with, you know, like $10 shop lights from Home Depot. And that's why I think it's so, so important to do a reality check and say, And it's always a trade-off of dollars for time, but in terms of saying, you know, what are my resources? And if I'm breaking the bank to get this new piece of gear, then it's probably not the right decision for you at that moment. Um, You know, breaking the bank is a huge issue because that new piece of gear, it's going to have some sizzle for a few days. Then you're going to get bored with that new toy, and you're going to put it on the shelf, and you're going to go chase after something else all the while having never really expended the time or the the mental fortitude to really understand what is it you're after what is it in my case what is it that makes great light what is it that makes that decisive moment yeah. what is it that creates if you're shooting portraits what is it that creates that rapport between the shooter and the subject what is it you know how did joseph Karst draw out Winston Churchill, okay, and get that iconic glare right into the lens. I mean, how does that happen? It doesn't happen because he had the right view camera on a tripod. It happened because of who he was. And, and he so, pulled the cigar out of his mouth, right? Yeah, that's the, that's, you know, that's the icing <laughs> on the cake. But, yeah, he yanked that cigar. So how did he know that that's what he needed to do? It wasn't because he was shooting the right brand of view camera. Yeah. You know, it's because of who he was as a person, and that's something I've been reflecting on a lot lately. Is I think the greatest thing any of us can do as photographers, frankly, is to work on our people skills. Even those of us who are really great with people, there's always room for improvement. I mean, Steve, you were just in Cuba photographing people you've never met before. Mm. What? A, you know, by the way, I'll, I'll call me for your workshop, man. I so want to go. <laughs> um, but how do you do that? I mean, that I think is really where the forefront of, of photography is. And frankly, that's where the forefront of photography has been for the last 150 years.
0: Nice. Yeah, and then it goes back to do you want to spend money on food or do you want to <laughs> spend money on that latest camera? Because if you're shaking from, a, from food deprivation, you're going to need a faster shutter speed. <laughs> so, Doug, Doug, what about you? Where, do you? where do you fall on this? I know there's a happy balance somewhere in this with regard to gear acquisition and um, talent. But where do, where, do you, where do you draw that intersection?
3: Well, I buy gear because I don't have talent. That's very simple.
0: (laughs) That that is the title of a blog post, my friend.
3: (laughs) (laughs) No, you know, I I mean, I spend more time thinking about gear and talking about gear on this podcast and others than I do in my real life. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, the the fact is, and and people ask me questions, and I, I stay up to date so that I can answer the questions, but... I, my gear is almost all used. Uh, I don't have the current models of anything. I purposely buy stuff that's saves me money that, uh, that I still have, uh, in terms of creativity, I can still grow into. And, uh, uh so there's a big difference between being this week in photo and talking about the latest and greatest and what i actually use and what i actually spend my time thinking about so i love the gear but it's um it, it's because we're being asked to talk about it in a sense you know that's that's our job here yeah. but you know or not maybe not i mean sill is sill is sort of uh, making a point that um, you know that maybe that's what we shouldn't be talking about yeah that that, that there's a lot more to this and uh, uh you know who cares
0: yeah but, i think uh, i think i'm gonna you know i'm gonna say it right now i'm throwing the gauntlet down we're gonna we're gonna start moving this week in photo away from being so gear centric and talking about the latest you know hey it went from 24.2 to 24.7 megapixels into talking more about the art and the science behind light and capturing it i think that's that that is the most important thing. I mean, the, the this other stuff will continue to evolve and get better, and we'll get all this whiz stuff, which we'll touch on, of course. But I think the, the main thing, for me at least, from my perspective, is the art of photography. And that's the love that brings us all together. And that's why we're all here on the show.
2: Amen, Reverend Frederick. Amen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Don't have me going to my Barack mode. I'm going to do <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Steve, also, I wanted to talk about the W one A wireless adapter, which Nikon also announced. So, can you can you tell us? Uh, I don't. I'm not familiar with that piece of gear. Are you? Uh, do you know anything about it?
1: Uh, I know just a little bit, Frederick, and that is um, it will allow you to uh, kind of upload uh, images, JPEG images, I believe, uh, to. Either a phone or maybe your computer, mm. it'll allow you to use your iPhone or Droid as a remote to fire your camera, and you'll be able to use your your maybe your iPad or your phone as a live view uh, screen as well. So oh, really cool, very interesting. Although the piece you kind of have to plug in and kind of sticks out awkwardly a little bit from the side of the camera. I think, of course, that's kind of where it's going. I think that um, you know camera manufacturers have to be aware that the most you know prolific uh, production of of cameras are are phones because yeah. it's easy people are happy to just use that one device and you know they're not necessarily looking for megapixels for the pictures that they make with their phones. they want to be able to upload it and tweet it out and Facebook it right away so I think that you know camera manufacturers, especially at uh, uh, the entry level and the smaller compact cameras, have to kind of address that because it's going to be a problem but yeah, I think we're going to be seeing more of it even with the d four you 've got all kinds of um, wireless connections that have been ramped up from previous generations.
0: Yeah. Now, now, Sil, why, you know, I know you don't know the answer to this, of course, you have no insight into Canon and their product line, (laughs) but in your opinion, why don't we have, why can't I buy a camera body today with a a built-in Wi-Fi transmitter or even better a built-in you uh, know, cellular modem in you know, like my iPhone and my iPad have. How come I can't buy a camera with that built into it?
2: You know, I, I just because consumers aren't demanding it. I mean, it's it's really that. What are what are we demanding? We're really demanding, um, you know, an iPhone like interface, something yeah, that's Steve, really like simple. Steve Jobs said.
0: People don't know what they want until you give it to them. <laughs> you have to, yeah, you know.
2: I, I think I think that's true, but who's got the guts to go out and build that utility into? a camera and see if it really, you know, see if it really works. I mean, how do you, it's almost like you're asking the question, how do you make a DSLR out of a smartphone?
0: Or or not, not exactly. And Doug, I want you to chime in on this as well. So, I mean, And this is coming from the guy who called the acquisition of Instagram a week before it happened by Facebook. So why not? I mean, how come we can't have or why can't a Nikon or a Canon say, okay, we're going to reinvent the space. We're going to build a camera with a built in cellular modem and an app store for it. You
2: mean like an iPad?
0: No, no, like, an, of course, using that metaphor, Apple blazed the trail, of course, but translating what Apple did with the, with the app store, you know, over to a phone or I'm sorry, to a camera where you can have the camera and you could say, you know what, man, uh, you know, I heard about this, this cool new multiple flash thing that still arena, this application that still put out. I'm going to download that real quick. Cause I have this shoot coming up and you download that directly to the phone, fo- to the camera and and use it. How come? How come we can't? All the stuff is there. We have like super computers in these cameras. The infrastructure is there, and Apple has already shown that people want to buy this kind of stuff. How come we can't do that? So, um,
2: I'm gonna I'm going get a lot of hate mail from this, but um, you know, Canon and Nikon, and to a certain extent, Sony are, um, I think, it's chained to Japanese culture mm-hmm. and the way that. Japanese people take images in the way that uh, is completely different than the way that I take images. And you look at, you know, where are the creative people at at Apple? Um, With all due respect, and I know I'm going out here and people say, oh, my God, I can't believe you said that. But I think there is a corporate culture that that we don't really appreciate that gets built into this gear. So if a camera like the one you're prescribing um, comes to market, I'm certainly going to take a look at it. But I'll, you know, bet my bottom dollar. It's not coming from Canon. It's not coming from Sony. I think they're chained to the mast of, uh, you know, disingenuity, if you will. They plot ahead very slowly. Um, you know, maybe Sony would bring something up like that, but I don't know. I'd probably, I, if I had to guess, I'd say something like that would come out of Korea. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it come from some place that says we're just going to re- revolutionize. And, you know, I, who knows where that creative ingenuity is, but I don't, I certainly don't expect it to come out of any of the mainstream companies.
0: Now, what about, what about you, Doug? I mean, would you use, do you think that's, am I, am I just having a pipe dream here? Or is that, is that a camera or a technology or a bundling of technologies that would resonate with photographers?
3: Well, I mean, we we have all sorts of different things. I, I swear, Alex Lindsay must be whispering in your ear, though, because I I hear you about to say uh, we want a, a a camera where the total UI is controlled by the iPhone, right? Isn't that uh, that's one not of Alex's where I'm, I launches? know he
0: said that. That's not where I'm going. <laughs> I'm I don't want to be. No, able, I, I don't want to snap my iPhone on the back of my DSLR. I want a. I mean, I'm okay with a brand new experience. You know, as long as the UI is cool. That that is designed specifically for image makers that has an app or a a repository of different add-ons that I can pull in on the fly, on the spot. You know, I'm doing landscape photography. I want to be able to pull in stuff to do that. Or, hey, Trey Radcliffe developed some HDR thing, and I want to download that to my phone so I can do stuff like Trey does it. You know, I I want that. How come I can't have that? Mm -hmm. Well, you know,
3: in Canon, of course, a lot of people hack the firmware. I shouldn't say a lot of people. Some people hack the firmware, and there's all sorts of add-ons you can do for a Canon. Nikon, there's much less of that, as far as I can tell. Um, So there is, you know, there's sort of a black market underground for that stuff going on right now. Yeah. Uh, But I think, you know, you and I talked about the Fuji X Pro uh, 1 a week and a half ago. Yep. And, you know, there's... At some point, you don't want to have much more in a camera... (laughs) You know, you really don't. It gets, you know, you need to just get the job done. I mean, imagine if you went out to build the house and you took the power saw. You said, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to use a handsaw to build a house. I'm going to use a, a power saw. Yep. But imagine if your power saw had a, a GUI and Wi Fi uploading and, you know, all this stuff. You'd say, oh my God, it's just too much. At some point, you need just basic tools to get the job done. Yeah. I mean, the, other, the other thing that's important here is that if you look at the the ratio of, Bells and whistles to camera price, it's inverted. All the new features always come in at the low end of the camera line. They come in in the point and shoots, they come in in the mirrorless stuff, and they slowly work their way up into the higher end cameras. Part of that, I think, is technology showcase that these vendors are trying to do. They sort of build their reputations to some extent at both the you know at the bottom end based on features, but they also um, it's also volume. You know, if they're going to put features in and they cost them money, they can, you know, I'd rather do it on on a million cameras than, you know, 40,000. So, yeah, yeah, go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, Fred, uh, you know, if you look at a D7000, for example, and if you explore the retouch menu, you'll see that there's all kinds of things that you can do. Most of us are not using them because we're doing our post-processing. But, you know, in the menu, in the retouch menu, you can affect your JPEGs, you can do fisheye, you can doing landscape, you can do all these things. Now the new cameras have kind of HDR, in-camera mode, bless you, still. Mm-hmm. They have all this stuff. If you really explore, you know, the menu items, I mean, there's so many of them. They're, they're actually, you know, they, they tend to intimidate a lot of us. But, you know, living within these amazing computers are, you know, the basic mechanical cameras that if you're old enough you remember, like the FM2 that was just shutter speed, aperture, ISO. I mean, that's really kind of... The most profound way you're gonna affect your images. but if you really looked, uh, a lot of that stuff is in there now. It's just yeah. most of us aren't really playing with it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I agree. And, and I also I know I'm gonna get mail because on the one hand, I'm saying you know learn light and and stop being a gear insert expletive here you know person but uh and on the other hand i'm saying i want more advanced hardware that can do all this cool stuff so i don't know there's a middle ground somewhere in there and we we will we will continue this discussion i'm sure in perpetuity on this week in photo all right but the this next story that i want to i want to just touch on really quickly is shutterfly um like we said in the beginning, Shutterfly has announced that they have a, a a successful intent on acquiring Kodak Gallery, also known as the Kod remember the Kodak Easy Share Gallery? Then they renamed themselves to the Kodak Gallery for twenty-three million dollars, which is uh you know, it's 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 sad on a couple of notes, and it's interesting on a couple of notes, and it's also Good on a couple of notes, especially for the Shutterfly folks. Now, the interesting part of this for me is, you know, just looking at these numbers. So they, Shutterfly, again, acquired Kodak Gallery for $23.8 million. One. Last year, just last year, um, Shutterfly acquired, I think it was Shutterfly, they acquired Tiny Prints Incorporated for Three hundred million dollars, just last year. And this year, they they you know spent the interest on that and bought Kodak. So I mean, still I'm gonna i to throw it to you first. I mean, how do you feel about this? I mean, is this you know it, yeah? Of course, Kodak is in the bankruptcy courts right now, and I mean, this deal is pending approval from the U.S. bankruptcy courts. But what is what is this? Is this a sign of the times? Is Kodak just sort of dissolving and fading to black now?
2: Kodak's another corporate reminder that you have to evolve to survive. That you can't just say we own the market. Um, you know, you look at where Kodak was at the the dawn of digital photography, and here they are now. The carcass is just basically being picked apart by vultures. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I I think that's the more interesting story. I don't. I I'm not a Shutterfly customer. I can't comment on you know whether that's good, bad, or otherwise. Sure. Um, But for me as a business person, I look at it and say, yeah, this is a reminder. Um, Same thing for Polaroid. You look at where Polaroid was, you know, and look at where they are today and all different kinds of brands. And, you know, someday Apple won't be the dominant um, tech company that it is. It's just the nature of humanity. So um, I just look at this as a a student of business and, and say, okay, you know, evolve or die.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just insane. I mean, you know, you mentioned Apple. Looking at the, you know, I was looking at their stock today. Apple, Apple at one point was up over fifty seven dollars today. <laughs> fifty seven dollars today, and it's it's April twenty fifth, twenty twelve. Fifty seven dollars in one day, which means they that's pocket change. The, the acquisition of Kodak is pocket change for some employees at Apple. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, you think about that. This is Kodak, Kodak moment, you know, and some engineers at Apple's like, yeah, I could have bought that, you know, on my way to Starbucks, big deal, you know.
1: I mean, when you think about it, like Kodak had the digital camera first, but they didn't do anything with it. And I remember years ago being at Photo Plus Expo and Kodak had a big booth and they were giving away film when film was, you know, obviously on the decline. And I couldn't tell you kind of what Kodak was doing. And this was years ago. I wasn't really sure exactly what they were doing, I, I didn't. I knew that they made censors and you know they're still making film, but that sort of uncertainty for someone who's in the business, for a company that is synonymous with photography. I mean, the writing was on the wall years ago. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you. So it's just sad, really. It's just kind of sad, and it's still said It's a, it's a reminder. You know, evolve or die.
0: Yeah, Doug. What about? What about? I mean, what? And I, I, I posed this before in the show. If you were. You know, you were hired over at Kodak and given unlimited power to turn the company around and make decisions, hire and fire and all that sort of magic. What would you have done in order to make Kodak remain relevant?
3: Uh, I probably would have gone into my engineering departments and spun out groups into, to the extent possible, independent business units to leverage the technologies that Kodak has developed over all these years. I mean, they, you know, I think, I think we talked about last time Sil and I were both on the show. They've got, you know, tremendous talent in, even in sensors, in lenses, even Uh, so many technologies that are still current, but the company uh, as an overall structure was essentially unable to capitalize on that. They were they were trapped by the innovators dilemma, and they refused to uh, cannibalize their own business by going in new directions. The same thing that Steve was saying essentially. Yeah. So you know they they should have just you know dumped the marketing and gone with the technologies where they could have won, but they didn't do it.
0: Yeah, it's very sad. But we'll uh, we'll keep watching this, and hopefully you know something will happen and they won't fade to black. But we'll keep watching as this these sort of news items pop up
3: yeah hey, I got my calculator out again, and uh the price paid for shutterfly uh let's see um instagram was forty two times the valuation of kodak no so, uh, of of uh no of uh, yeah of kodak right sorry wow of uh, kodak gallery forty two times the differential but there's something weird because kodak said they had seventy five million users of kodak gallery, yet there were some independent stats that said. In the month of March there were only 971,000 unique visitors to the galleries. I mean that's essentially dead.
0: Wow. You know? Wow. wow so, that's, anyway. That's Twip, you know, I that's, think Twip has more than that. No, not yeah, <laughs> I think I mean some I mean that they, they just they
3: just walked away from that and they're they're lucky they got 23.8 million.
0: Wow. Yeah that, that, that's going to be a case study for business school. All right, guys. I want to. Uh, we have a, a very special interview here that we're going to uh, insert. This is a quick interview. This is with Megan Anderson. She's a she's a, a photographer who specializes in not only creating arts and crafts but uh, photographing them. So definitely give this a listen. It's very interesting. This is Megan Anderson. I'm here with Megan Anderson. She's a, a craft person, a blogger, and of course, because she's on this week in photo, she's also a photographer. And um, I invited her to come on the show today to sort of give us an idea of what her path was into photography and how she's interweaving it into the crafts things she likes to do. So, you know, on Twip, we like to talk to different people about how they got into photography and, you know, what drives them. And I thought speaking with Megan would be a good opportunity to see, you know, someone who's doing something that's kind of, Tangentially related to photography, and there in terms of it being creative, but it's not exactly photography. But she's weaving her photography into it. So I like
4: that tangentially.
0: That's nice. Tangentially, though, so, Megan, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it.
4: Thanks so much for having me. It's a total pleasure and honor to be here.
0: You're welcome. You're welcome. Pleasure is all ours. So first of all, tell us, tell us who you are. Who who is uh, Megan Anderson?
4: So, hi, I'm, I am Megan Anderson, and I am, I am a craft blogger, like you said, and I have, um, over the years, I've been developing my online presence, which is known as Rad Megan. And so, I have a blog, and I have an Etsy store, and I I teach craft classes here in Los Angeles, where I'm based, at a place called the Urban Craft Center in Santa Monica. And um, basically, Rad Megan is like the craft persona that I have. You know, where I'm trying to make um, projects and. Uh, recipes and garden things and kind of like trying to make them as rad as possible. And part of that for me was improving my own photography because when I started as a crafter, I think that my photography was like the biggest thing that was holding me back or at least I felt like it was. So, yeah. So it's been so, like a journey, you know. To- so, you
0: started with crafts and your love of crafts and and doing that sort of thing. And then now it's time to kind of turn on the photography engine. So, I'm sure the listeners are like, okay, how does this relate to photography? <laughs> yeah. Why is, is she it? on
4: this interview exactly?
0: <laughs> Why is she on Twitter? What, you know? <laughs>
4: right. So, yeah, so basically, um, crafting was always a hobby for me. And then, and I had, you know, a full time job in the corporate world. And um, I got laid off uh, about a year and a half ago, like many people have been. Mm-hmm. And so I, like, I really threw myself into my craft blog, which is radmegan.blogspot.com. And, um, that kind of became like the the reason to get out of bed in the morning, you know, like to to really like throw myself into it, making these projects. And um, even before I had gotten laid off, I I was really getting more and more inspired by photography, and I worked with a lot of photographers who were really amazing, um, just in my um, in my corporate positions. But uh, when I had time to put. You know I had nothing but like free time once I got laid off and when I really started throwing myself into blogging and and improving my online store, photography was the real driving force behind it and so I would make all these things and take you know really take care to make um, make my photographs reflect like the quality of the thing I had made. And, um, basically just after, after a while and networking and trying to put myself out there, I hooked up with a company called video to brain and they had, they had seen my blog and they liked the photographs that I was taking and asked me to come and record a photography training course with them. So that's what I did. And that's kind of why I'm here today. Um, because I I do have a new uh photography training uh series that's out now and it is it's geared towards crafters but it's also it's so like accessible and kind of um like from the ground up that it's really for anybody who has like a digital camera who just has been kind of apprehensive about taking it off of the automatic mode which is where I was for like years and years so yeah. um And I I mean, I'm sure your listeners are like way advanced, but I know that, I know that feeling, you know, I was there like several years ago where you just, you want, you want to get your photographs to another level and you can't quite figure out how, or you're kind of afraid. So that was like, I went through that personal journey and, um, and yeah, now, now I have these videos though.
0: So. <laughs> so, so your videos will handhold sort of the beginning photographer, um, yeah. not, not necessarily targeted at the the person with the gigantic white lenses on their DSLR. Uh,
4: <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not exactly for you guys. Yeah. You're, you're a little too advanced for me, but, um, yeah. well, TWIP,
0: TWIP has a, has a diverse audience. I mean, it, yeah. you know, everyone from beginners all the way through to, you know, advanced pros in here. Right. So yeah. Right.
4: So. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully the videos are are something that are you know will help um, people who want to improve their photography just for themselves or for their their own blogs or stores or even just to like share with their family and friends but um yeah, for me, it was it photography was the biggest uh the biggest thing that I noticed I needed to change about my my store and my blog and everything, and so um that that was probably one of the more fun things too. I mean, I've always been really handy and like arts and crafts has kind of always been my thing, but you know, it's funny when you, when you go through a project and you spend like 20 hours, you know, knitting something or sewing or like building something. And then you just take some crappy snapshot. You're like, Oh man, (laughs) the thing I made is not reflected. It's the quality isn't there. So, so the photography was, was really important to me. And
0: that's interesting. So like with before you've been you presumably doing crafts a lot longer than you've been shooting, uh photography. Yeah right? for
4: sure. Yeah. I grew up in a totally crafty house. I was an art major in school and I like that crafty. Well, very yeah. very oh, crafty people in there, right? Oh my gosh, yeah, it's crazy. I totally remember when I was in college, um, Uh, I was working on a project and I was at my mom's house and it was really late at night and she came in and she was like, is everything okay? You know, it's like, it's really late. And I said, oh, I blew it. I was, I was making this project and um, I need fake hair. And she just looked at me like, what? And then left and came back not 10 minutes later. And she had, um, black curly hair, uh, blonde straight hair and red wavy hair. And she was like, well, this too. So, I mean, that was the kind of house I grew up in where like fake hair was abundant. So yeah, crafting, (laughs) crafting was always kind of, it was always around. So, and that's what my blog is about. It's just kind of, I'm trying different things, you know, not being afraid to try new recipes and new projects and things to kind of like make your life easier. And, you know, you don't have to go out and buy everything all the time. You can get resourceful and make things. But um, making it accessible is is what's important to me. And and that's kind of uh, what I try to do with photography, too, is just make it accessible and not have too many crazy expensive things that are just uh,
0: yeah, yeah you wanna you wanna it's it 's not photography for the sake of the gear it 's photographer photography for the sake of what the end product is and that 's that 's capturing the crafts and showing it to people right
4: yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And I mean, if it, if it was photography, you know, for the sake of the gear, like, hey, I would not, I don't knock that, but I just don't have, you know, like, not everybody <laughs> has the means to do like photography for the case of the gear. And, yeah, and yeah. that's where I am. So um, so I'm
0: looking at a picture on your blog right now on your about page. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got um, who I assume is you standing in front of a table under a big sign with green letters that says "Rad Megan on it. Right. Exclamation point. Yes. So uh, <laughs> like wham. <laughs> where I'm going with this and I go- I do have a destination. <laughs> okay. So um in the past like pre not pre internet but like mm-hmm. before you start before like Etsy and those sorts of sites yeah. became prominent mm-hmm. you you would make these things and and sell them to people but your traffic would be limited to foot traffic right? Yeah. For Uh, sure. Just to people that would walk by and say, Oh, that's nice. I'll take that. How much is this? You know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, take me through how things have changed for you with the advent of, of Etsy and which was the impetus I assume behind you wanting to create quality product photography of your, of your pieces.
4: That, yeah, it's, it's like, it's almost like learning everything all over again. I'm not, I'm not, um, so old that it like the internet is like back in my day when there was no internet, but it is. Hey, don't knock that. No, I'm not <laughs> knocking it because I totally appreciate how different things were. I mean, even when I was in college, like there literally wasn't internet when I was in college. So <laughs> I, so I am, you know, I'm of a respectable age where I do appreciate how different things are now. And it's crazy because you're right. Like I used to sell things on a table and, you know, at little craft shows and there's nothing wrong with little craft shows, but, um, your audience is basically like whoever is at that, um, church parking lot, you know, or, or whoever like got the flyer on their car windshield. Or you gotta be a carnival
0: barker to get them over to your table, right?
4: Right. Oh my God. Exactly. (laughs) So, so it's so different now and they're especially, Um, I mean, everything has its own, like, niche market and pockets where you can kind of promote things. But with Etsy and uh, even with, like um – uh, keywords and so, and um, search engine marketing and like, ta- you know, knowing how to tag things. And I don't know if you and your audience know about Pinterest, but there are all these different things. I mean, even Flickr, like if you're tagging your crafts and your, and your products and things properly, it's just, it's amazing the reach. It's just so different than um, how it was even when I started out, which like really was not that long ago. I mean, I, I wasn't really selling any crafts until, I mean, I I was always making them like forever and ever. I was always making them, but I didn't really sell anything until about, um, like 2005, 2006. And even since then in my head, like 2005 was just yesterday, but in like the lifespan of the internet, it was (laughs) Eons ago. <laughs>
0: yeah, that was yeah, that was back in the Cretaceous period, right? <laughs> yeah,
4: right. That was like hopping online with an AOL disk. So yeah. Um, yeah, things are different, and and um, I, I don't want to say they're easier now, but um, but it seems like um, if you. If you're if you're aware of how things have changed, then you can kind of alter your thinking and reach people in another way. So, um, so yeah, digital photography without it, like I would be I'd be lost. Yeah, mean. <laughs> you know yeah. It's I mean it's um, I mean,
0: it's the great enabler, right? I mean the the internet plus photography plus the stuff that you like to do equals reach. Right. So
4: yeah, right. So I mean, hopefully, and I mean I'm still I still feel like I'm a relatively new. A blogger because I really wasn't um, I wasn't giving my blog any uh, full time attention before about you know a year and a half ago and same thing with my Etsy store I've had it forever but I haven't really um, just until recently had the time and dedication to really put a lot into it and so it's amazing like what you can accomplish with dedicated time you know and the internet yes, yeah. <laughs> and the right tools so.
0: Well, take me through that. So, take me through, like, what's a day in the life? So you, you know, you create a, create one of your craft pieces, mm-hmm. uh, and then you determine, okay, okay, this is ready. I want to show it to people. I want to put it up for sale. Yeah. Now what? You you how do take me through like in well when in a level of detail? How do you photograph this thing? And then you know how do you, how do you get it ready to go online?
4: Okay. So yeah, it's, um, depending on what the craft is, then I will, um, once I'm finished, then I will, um, I'll do a couple of different things with photography. I have a little, um, I've got a few backgrounds that I like to use in my, uh, photo studio slash kitchen. And, (laughs) um, and they're just, you know, basic props that I like to use just like plain white backgrounds, uh, middle gray and Uh, just a flat black background and I'll try to just get like a really clean product shot. And I will typically use like the uncluttered clean product shot for things like Etsy um, where I just want to focus on what the craft is. And if it's a blog post, I'll usually add a little bit more, of the editorial side so i'll try to put the craft in context somehow so if it's something wearable then i either i'll recruit a model or i'll use it or you know i'll try to put it in some setting where a prospective buyer or reader would be like oh yeah i could see that on me or you know i put it in context Yeah. yeah like i could see how cute that would be on my mantle i have to have it so um and and those photos also are great for for selling your products too but i typically will like lead with a really clean product shot but on etsy you can have a few different photographs to kind of get get an idea of what it is um you're selling so and then the staging of of all the photographs can range from like really basic and straightforward to um like, if it were a reality TV show, uh, it would be a hilarious comedy of errors because I've had staging before where, like, I've got my camera balanced on a ladder and things are suspended from, like, laundry lines and stacked on books. And, like, things that are out of the frame are crazy just because I need so many different props, you know, to kind of um, just make the shot happen. I'm. Yeah pretty much a one man operation. So, um, so you just have to get really resourceful with what you've got. And, uh, and then, yeah. So once I get a good series of photographs, I'll just import them and, uh, do some cleanup with Photoshop and slap my watermark on there and then things go up on the blog and, on etsy and then and then the next phase happens, which is like all the marketing stuff you know, like promoting it on Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest, yeah. and really trying to
0: what is it, pinterest i 've heard of them i haven 't used them what is that site
4: it 's a site where um, You know, I'm not actually sure how old it is. I started getting, like, invitations from other crafty friends uh, probably a year ago or so or or maybe less. And it's basically Pinterest. The name is kind of like putting a pin on your interests. And you can can go to any site and – How
0: do you spell it? Pinterest, P-I-N-T-E-R-E-S-T?
4: Yeah, I believe that's correct. And I think it's just .com. And then – so you can just sign up. It's free. And then you, in fact – Oh, I was going to send you a link to mine, but you can uh, you can create all these different boards where you see all the photographs that other people are pinning, you know, people that you have subscribed to whose interest you also like. And then you can see their photographs and it's kind of like a photo sharing thing, like how in Flickr you can um, – you have your favorites and they're not your photographs. They're pictures of, of other – you know, they're other people's pictures, but you can favorite them. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what the whole theory is with um, with Pinterest. It's basically like other people's stuff, and you can just kind of organize it like these are photographs of crafts I would like to make. These are photographs of garden things I really enjoy. Interesting.
0: You know? So you can tag yeah. things and organize them however you want. Right?
4: Yeah, and then they link back to your um, store, blog, what have you. So Got it's it. a, just a really um, – it's one of those like lovely time wasters where you just kind of sometimes need to check out at work for a few minutes and it look turns at out the day. internet
0: is full of those lovely time wasters. <laughs> yeah,
4: <it laughs> really is. But um, yeah. I quite enjoy it. So yeah. um, it's it's just a fun way to kind of network and get your pictures out there. But
0: so here's here's a question that I have to ask, and you know, this is I have one more question after this one, but this is a really important question. Um, so brace yourself.
4: Oh my gosh, I'm nervous. <laughs> yeah.
0: So you live in L.A. I'm looking at your blog, uh, uh-huh. your about page says you live in Los Angeles with your, with your husband and 500, over 500 carnivorous plants. That I would like correct. to know what these five are. You are you raising like Audrey Twos out there? What's going on? I am. On? <laughs> yes,
4: we have many many children who are all little carnivorous plants. In fact, that's actually uh,
0: like are these like fly eating plants or? Oh
4: yeah, no no, for sure. Like I, we, that's where I met my husband. Was at a carnivorous plant club meeting um, about <laughs> like six a rec- years
0: ago. Recovering carnivorous plant owners or?
4: <laughs> it's <laughs> like a big nerd fest, so I highly encourage people who are just interested in carnivorous plants or um, just kind of want like something funny to do on a Saturday to go check it out. But um, yeah, so I've got I've got Venus flytraps, I've got um, Saracenia, Drosera, uh, Drosophyllum, Pinguicula, Nepenthes, I've got a whole variety, Jeez. my whole backyard. And you're not
0: scared of living with those?
4: <laughs> no, no. In fact, I love it because in the summer I have fewer mosquitoes in my uh, backyard oh, than I think that's probably. A- other people do although you know the first one I got I I did kind of freak out because I didn't know and that's why I started going to the carnivorous plant club meetings I was watering one day and one of the plants um their pitchers like tipped over and it all this juice came dribbling out on my leg and there were like little fly carcasses in it. (laughs) and I just (laughs) stared for a minute like oh my god is my leg gonna start sizzling like is this acid gonna start burnt but no that's not how it works so they're just fun they're fun to have and um yeah that's uh that's one of my many <laughs> that's <awesome>. that's... <laughs> one of my many hobbies one i would of the you gotta send that.
0: me a picture of your your carnivorous garden. Oh, I, I like. will. <laughs> I will.
4: It's mighty. <laughs> yeah, I
0: bet. I bet. You know, it be, beats having a security system, right?
4: Actually, <laughs> so, yeah. Beware of plants. That's what I should have on my front door. <laughs>
0: you totally should. Yeah, you should put some radiation on them. See if they go like man size or so. <laughs> uh,
4: yeah. That I might have a problem with. I yeah. like them small. <laughs>
0: yeah, that would be good. All right, well, Megan, thank you so much for coming on. Where where can people go to find out more about the stuff that you're working on, see some of your crafts and check out your videos and all this good stuff?
4: Oh, thanks. Um my blog is uh it's radmegan.blogspot.com and that's rad like totally rad, r a d m e g a n. Um Dot blogspot.com. And um, I also, you can search redmegan on Etsy for my store. And then if you go to video numeral two brain, uh, I am a new author there and I have a new video that's called The Art of Craft Photography. And then I'll have another one coming out that's a little bit more advanced um, before the end of the year. So if you're interested in finding out more about crafts and craft photography, you should totally buy it.
0: That's cool. You and got, I'm nice,
4: you, so do it for me. Yay! You are, yeah, and <laughs> you
0: got you got to put some pictures of your of those plants up. Oh my know, gosh, somewhere. I will.
4: I totally will. I think I have a couple of blog posts, but none that really show like the full crazy that you that need there to ph- is. photograph
0: the plants like you photograph your crafts. You know? that,
4: this is true. Actually, I want to see I, some yeah, teeth. I, I want
0: to <laughs> see some you know like flies being slowly digested. Oh
4: <laughs> man, I have I've written a few articles and done some uh, some freelance work. Uh, in, in the gardening space as well with with the carnivorous plants specifically because they are so crazy cool. So if you have if anybody has any of your listeners have questions about carnivorous plants too you're you're welcome to send those my way as well. That's awesome. That's very Total cool. Total plant nerd in addition to photography and crafts.
0: A crafty plant nerd. I That's love it. That's me.
4: <laughs> <laughs> that should be my tagline on my blog. You should.
0: You should. The crafty plant nerd. I love it. Oh, awesome. Cool. Megan, thank you so much. I appreciate it.
4: Oh my gosh! Thank you. You you are the best, and so is so are all the twips out there. Awesome! <laughs> thank you. Thanks.
0: Okay, you can learn more about Megan by visiting her website, um, or you can find her on the usual social networking sites, which we will link to in the show notes for this episode. All right, guys, it is time for some magical Q&A and a little something special in this segment. Basically, this segment is where our guests, you guys, get to answer questions that have come in via our various outlets and inlets online, Facebook, Twitter, Google+, Plus, etc. Um, this first question is from listener Bill Boz, or Booz, is B-O-O-Z. He writes, I'm interested in per- purchasing... Audio controlled triggers for my Canon flash units, but don't want to go to the expense of high-end pocket wizards. I'm fine with working totally in manual on-camera flash units, um, though it would be nice to be able to take advantage of Canon's ETL functionality. So... A little something special as an answer for this. I want to let you guys answer as well, but uh, a TWIP listener actually chimed in to answer this, and I'm going to play his response now. So give this a listen. Thanks, Frederick. Love the show. Good question, Bill. I'm going to point you away from the low-budget TTL triggers and suggest you pick up a set of young Yongnuo RF-603 non-TTL triggers. They're well-built, solid performers, and at only $15 apiece, they're an amazing bargain. All right, so that was a guest uh or actually a listener, Brian Fisher. He's a glamour and model photographer out of beautiful Pismo Beach, California. You can find him at portfoliojam.com. So uh definitely some good advice. Do you guys have any advice for this listener, for listener Bill, on basically purchasing radio controlled triggers and canon for his flash canon flash units. Sil, I know you're the guy on this.
2: Yeah. Um you know, my standard mantra is before you go out and buy a trigger because you think it's going to do something for you, you have to understand the built-in system first. And a lot of people run away from Canon or Nikon's built-in system now, you know, <laughs> the, the infrared or optical system. And so my mantra is, hey, you've got to master that, and it's not as hard as you think it is, and it's far more reliable than most people make it out to be. So, you mentioned you want ETTL functionality through a radio trigger. I would just master that system and understand the relationship between where you put the master and where you put the slave and how you get the master speedlight off camera but still working with the slave. So, you've got that ETTL, or if you're Nikonian, that ITTL functionality. Yeah. Um, you know, that said, all of these Asian made, relatively inexpensive triggers you know some are really good and reliable and others aren't um, I'll have to say the, the the new pocket wizard plus three for like a hundred bucks if I wanted a manual trigger that would be the one I'd spend the money on um, because you know for the price point that the plus three is at it's an amazingly reliable system and now it's only doing one thing it's saying fire now but if that's all you want if you're willing to go out to your remote lights and turn the power up and down as needed then great, you know, go with a, a great manual trigger.
0: Very good. All right, uh, let's move on to this next question. It's from Jesse Peters. Uh, Doug Kay, I want to throw it to you. You want to take this one?
3: Okay. Uh, Jesse says, I was looking at some action shots on sites like Pixoto and 500 picks. Uh, there seems to be uh, a quality to a lot of these photos that makes them razor sharp. The depth of field is unbelievable and spot on. So he's wondering if this is something special to full-frame sensors or if they're just... Masters of autofocus, his 7D doesn't give him the, that kind of results. Mm-hmm. So he wants us to talk about, uh, about that and, uh, you know, what are the special, how come everybody else's shots look sharper than his? <laughs> I think that's what he's looking for. Yeah,
0: yeah.
3: Um, and, uh, you know, and he's talking about sports shots in particular. Yep. You know, shooting action stuff is, is a skill. I don't, uh, I don't think there are any gimmicks in there. I don't, you know, I think that um, you know, fast autofocus is great. You know, something like a, a five D Mark III now, or a a, a, a Nikon D three S or a or Nikon D four is great. Uh, you need that, but um, even manual focus. Some of the best, uh, you know, action shots in, if if you have predictable motion, are in the manual focus. I don't know if I'm answering his question. What do you think?
0: I don't know. I mean, yeah. I mean. <laughs> My, my 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 first response would be: Have you checked your diopter? Is your di- <laughs> <laughs> is your diopter set for your eyeball? Because that I mean, in all seriousness, that's that that could be an issue. If your diopter is not set correctly, you could be thinking you're in focus when you're not in focus. Yeah, you know, I, right.
2: I'll I'll jump in real quick. The quality of the glass in front of the camera body it makes a huge difference. You know, buy quality glass and a cheap camera body if you have to figure out where to spend your money. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and there's so many variables in terms of sort of sharpness and, you know, obviously shutter speeds, et cetera, But know your autofocus mode, too, because if you're shooting action, you want to make sure you're in the right autofocus mode so that what you want to be in focus will be in focus. So, you know, obviously, if you've got sort of a dynamic focus on your cannon, which I'm sure you do, uh, you want to be in the, might, the right mode so that, you know, the player's face is going to be sharp rather than
3: his shoulder, that kind of thing. So you, you want to make sure you, you've mastered that as well. Yeah, that's that's an important thing because I can remember being convinced that I understood all the autofocus modes on my Nikon bodies and then discovering, wait a minute, I didn't.
2: Mm. And
3: so so now I'm suspicious because now I think I really do. I hope I don't discover that again, but it's absolutely true because uh, continuous focus and whether you use, you know, spot or matrix, whatever, uh, or, you know, how many points you have enabled is uh, – Quite important. Um, glass is important, and the best way to solve that is go out and rent something that all the reviews tell you are sharp. If you're Canon, he's a 7D, so you know get a 70 to 200 f2.8. If you don't have that lens, rent that lens. It's a very sharp lens. It's not a 400 millimeter lens, uh, but that'll that's a fairly fast focusing lens. I think, isn't it, so 70, yeah, make sure
2: you make sure you get the the Mark II model of that lens. It's way sharper than the original model. Yeah, I mean, uh, so that way you'll That's you'll a, know. But renting you. is renting is a great idea. Yeah, you know, I, you know, frankly, look at um, look at some of the f4 lenses. Like I, I shot the twenty four seventy f28 for years and always had problems with focus. Recently switched over to the twenty four one hundred five f4, and it's like holy cow! I just got a whole new camera because this lens is so much sharper and the other thing to know is not every lens that um all the retailers send out is a great copy of that individual lens don't Mm. be afraid to test it out and if it's not sharp send it back and say i need another one
0: excellent all right guys let's uh let's let's close this out with the pick of the week uh this is the segment where you guys can pick anything as long as it is somehow related to photography doug k let's start with you what is your pick of the week
3: well, my pick of the week is maybe one we've had on the show before. It's the Epson R3000 printer. Uh, I've recently recently gotten into doing my own printing. I love it. Uh, as you all know from your office printers, the printers are cheap. The inks and the paper are expensive. Uh, but this printer will print 13 inches wide by anything you want because you can use roll paper if necessary. Uh, it's big enough for almost anything. Uh, after rebates, you're going to spend only seven hundred dollars on the printer. I know from experience that you'll immediately spend two or three hundred on paper. So, uh, but uh, it's a great printer. I happen to have the uh, the 3880, which is the newer brother of what you use, Frederick. Yep. But um, this is the same technology in a for slightly smaller paper, and the it's the pretty much the you know the state of the art in uh, medium size. Uh, or, uh, Epson printing. I think it's great.
0: Very cool. And that's the Epson R3000 printer. Right? Yeah. Yep. All right. Steve Simon, what is your pick of the week?
1: Okay, well, I'm I'm sorry. Usually when it comes to the pick of the week, I look around my office and I find something that I bought that I like. And this time I looked at the screen and I saw Sil, um and he's looking good. And it reminded me that um, I have one of his cords. Now, he was kind enough to send me one for testing and um, I got to use it. And it's basically just a longer version of the Nikon cord that attaches to your cam- to your flash and your camera that allows you to have a TTL, um, you know, without using the CLS system, which is not as consistent. Or even radio slaves are not as consistent to a corded system. So by having this long cord, if I'm working with an assistant, I can have the assistant, you know, move freely and aim the flash where they want. It's just nice to have that flexibility. So it's kind of a unique product too. So I'm I'm going to sort of make a shout out shout out for for that unbeknownst to to Sill, and the the website is ocfgear.com, and and they come in both Canon and Nikon version, and it's just something I guess that you know I don't want to get him to talk about it too much but I guess he saw a need for it and he made it happen so and I'm glad he did
2: wow thanks steve
0: all right and uh still so continuing with you what's your pick
2: yeah so um I'm going to go outside the box a little bit and actually talk uh, my pick is the black magic cinema camera yeah. and I think a couple years from now, we're going to be looking back at the introduction of this camera and saying that's when the HDSLR movement changed for the better. Um, this is a three thousand dollar digital cinema body that shoots RAW format, which in video is unheard of at that price point. And um, it's it's if you shoot motion and you're saying I got to learn how to make money shooting motion, this is a camera I would definitely, definitely take a look at. It's three thousand bucks. Uh, I put one on order within 30 seconds of reading about it yesterday, literally. Wow. Uh, and they won't start shipping until July, so I got a few. <laughs> I got a few months to break
0: Amy into the idea that I just bought a <laughs> brand new camera. <laughs> but
2: you don't need um, that. You
0: don't need that camera right now, anyway. So you're working. No, on the
2: book. I, you know I got plenty to do. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. But um, you know, no, I'm really excited. The feature set is amazing, and the UI um, on the back of the camera is amazing. And here's an example of a camera that some guys just came completely outside the box and said why don't we why can't we and all of a sudden for 3000 bucks which is a ton of money for a lot of people i don't don't take me lightly uh you know that's a lot of money out of my wallet but when you look at the feature set it's truly a quantum leap forward so i think the black magic cinema camera deserves my pick of the
0: week very cool thanks so we'll definitely check that out and my pick i actually have two little picks um, the first one is Photo Woa. It's P-H-O-T-O-W-H-O-A dot com. And basically, they're like a daily deal for photographers. And the latest deal that they put out there is they're giving away 40 um, of the Craft and Vision photography e-books for $89, so 40 of them for $89, and these things normally go for $5 each, so you do the math, and it's, uh, it's a huge saving, so I uh, thought I would make that my pick of the week. I already own, I don't know, maybe 10 of these e-books, um, but if you want a huge collection of them sitting on your iPad, your new iPad, you can get them for 89 bucks. Just we'll put the link to this in the, the show notes for this episode, but definitely check that out. And then the other my other pick was Google Drive. So they just announced a new service called Google Drive, which is kind of like uh, Dropbox, Meets, iCloud, Meets, box.net, you know. So it's a it's a cloud storage service, but it integrates with your computer and allows you to sync files back and forth. To um, you know the Google services uh, and to all of your devices, the cool thing about it for me is you know right now i 'm using Dropbox for for most of my syncing, and it works great and i 'm happy with it. I have no plans to change, but for stuff like this, like the like interacting with Google documents that i'm doing for the show notes for this episode, when you install Google Drive, it puts all your documents, your Google documents in a folder on your desktop that now you don't have to go log in and go find your, you know, all your stuff. You just double click on a folder on your desktop and double click on a file in there and it opens up your browser to that file and you can edit it just like anything else. So it's, uh, it sort of takes a bunch of steps away. Oh, so I thought it was pretty cool. It's free. It's from Google if you're, you know, you're, you like, you're in the Google universe for stuff. So definitely check that out. And that's, uh, those are my two picks of the week. Photo with their, their 40 craft and vision ebooks and the Google Drive service. All right, gents. Uh, this was a long one. We're at the end of another episode of TWIP. Doug, where are you, where are you at online? Where can people, people find you?
3: I'm Doug K. everywhere. You can find me at DougK.com. You can find me on Google Plus as Doug K, Kay, K-A-Y-E, and on Twitter as Doug K.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Doug. And Steve Simon, where are you at in the ether?
1: Uh, Steve Simon uh, at Twitter, Steve Simon Google Plus and stevesimonphoto.com. And I, I hope to have my blog and my updated website uh, by the beginning of June.
0: I am not going to tease you about that, Steve. <laughs> I promise I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> All right. And Syl, where are you at online?
2: So on Twitter, it's Syl underscore arena, S-Y-L underscore a r e n a my blog is pixelated dot com, and i'm on google plus but i'm trying to figure out where which is why i'm going to the g plus conference next <laughs> month <laughs>
0: hey there are books out on that too. <laughs> who has time to read who has time to read I know. tell me about it tell me about it all right thanks guys thank you so much for coming on and uh, this has been a really insightful and informative show i appreciate it thank right. you and thanks you're welcome and uh to the listeners if you want to keep up with everything in the twip universe you can check us out at thisweekinphoto.com. also please support the show by leaving us a comment on itunes positive or negative as long as you are honest about it and also speaking of itunes please be sure to check out the twip podcast app it's a handy way to uh, check up Check or keep up with the shows as soon as they are released. And finally, if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at my website, mediabyteswithay.com. It's the marketing school for photographers. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off.